So I don't know if you know the secret to keeping someone in suspense. I'll tell you later. Um, There's a guy in the Bible who said, I've learned the secret, and it wasn't Jesus. And, And we can learn the secret too. So if you've been with us, we're in week four of our series on Uh, It's All in Your Head. If you haven't been with us, we're still in week four of It's All in Our Head. And basically, this series is around the idea of where is that default space, where does your mind dwell? Kind of on every day, like if you were going to have that moment reaction, where would your mind be? And and we find out in John 10.10 that there's a thief. There's Jesus who's not the thief, but there is this other thief. And a thief comes to steal. That's what thieves do. Our credit cards were stolen, uh, the numbers, not the actual cards, this week. And uh, it was a little bit of an awkward conversation when my wife's like, "Um, did you order an escort service? I'm like... Well, that'd be an awkward way to find out. Uh, No, no, I didn't, for sure. And not $3,000 on iTunes or Amazon or wherever it was. I'm like, oh my goodness. When something is stolen from us, it's, it's not fun. It often causes a little anxiety in us, and we don't know what to do. Our credit card's all worked out. But there are moments where where things are stolen from us day in and day out. And the thief, it says in John 10, 10, comes to steal and kill and destroy. And we've talked about how we have a spiritual enemy who wants to steal our joy and kill the positive relationships that we have in our lives to get us feeling utterly alone. And then he wants to destroy the attitude of Christians. We've, uh, through this series, I think some of us, it's been hard. Like we gave this 21-day hummingbird challenge because everybody sometimes needs a, a gimmick. And this idea was that hummingbirds dwell and they seek out things that are sweet and good. And as, as people who take this hummingbird challenge, we should dwell on things that are sweet and good and right and excellent and beautiful. And sometimes that's just hard. Like I did really awesome until day nine. And then, and then it was bad. I mean, I'd had moments of greatness, and then I had moments where I'm like, oh, I really hope no one asks about how that's going. And uh, last week, we talked about being an actor, not a reactor. Uh, and I tried to do that, and I, I tried to act as if everything was fine. But, you know, it's still hard sometimes. And I don't know if any of you have a boss that, like, acts like a five-year-old or has the EQ of a five-year-old and emotional quotients. And sometimes that's really tough to deal with. Or, or maybe you're at a place where you thought... Like, oh, I'm just going to live at home for a little while. And a little while has turned into a long time. Or you changed majors because you're in school again. Um, and, or maybe you graduated and you have no idea, like, what you want to do with this degree that doesn't now fit you. Or, or you spend time thinking, you know, by this age I thought I would have accomplished this and I haven't accomplished this and I just don't like that I haven't accomplished this and I wish I could and, you know, by, I thought by 30 I would do this and I thought by X I would do this and, and that spinning around in your head or, or maybe your quirks are turning into obsessions or maybe those quirks and obsessions are turning into addictions and you don't, you don't like that or maybe you're 
your marriage isn't quite in the place you want it to be if you're married, or your finances aren't quite what you want to be, or your home isn't quite what you want it, or your body is not really how you want it. And, and sometimes these things just spin. And we try to go to this place of positivity, but uh, we just keep getting pulled back. And we have a word for that in our, in our dictionary. It's called discontent. So I looked up discontent this week. Here's what it said in definition number one. Not content. (laughs) Oh my goodness, was I unsatisfied with that answer. I'm like, I long for people to actually do what we're supposed to do and follow the rules of grammar and not use the word or the word in the definition. I mean, don't these people go to school? Haven't they learned this? Oh. So definition number two was like a restless longing, kind of like me for this definition, for better circumstances. Like we're dissatisfied with our circumstances. Or definition number three was a restless longing or craving for something one does not have. Like a dissatisfaction with what we possess. Hmm. So as I thought about that definition, and I was reading my Bible this week, and I was reflecting on us and just our culture in general, I think that in that definition, we find the two things that can steal the most joy and contentment from us, and that is circumstances and possessions. And you might be thinking right now, you know, Rob, I really don't fall into that category, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not really discontent. Uh, I mean, I just want a little more out of life. But just a little more. But I, I call that ambition. That's not discontent. That's ambition. And um, I, that, that first thing you said, like, my boss doesn't act like a five-year-old. I'm fine. Um, and so that's fine. If that's you and you're pretty good, uh, then, then, you know, maybe there's just a few more things you'd like to have and... You wouldn't sell your soul to have a little more money or to have a little more stuff or just to have a, a little more. You wouldn't do that, but, but if you could have a little more and it didn't take a lot away, you'd want it, right? I would. Um, so here's a little example. So what if you could make an extra $500,000 in a year just by working 10 more hours a week? If you're unemployed, then great, you only have to work 10 hours. But if you're not, you, only have, you have to work an additional 10 hours. How many, that's it. How many of you would say, hey, for $500,000 a year, I would work an extra 10 hours a week? I mean, come on, are we really going to pray about this? Hmm, yeah, okay, I'll take that. It's 10 hours a week. It's not that much. I mean, some of you work out more than that. I wish I did. Anyway, um, so what if it was still $500,000 and almost every hand was raised, but now it was 20 hours a week? 20 hours a week extra, but just 20 hours a week, $500,000 for the year. You only have to do this for a year of your life. How many of you do that? Think about the vacation you could go on. Come on, think about the schools you could attend or the places you could go or think about paying off the debt, thinking about moving into a little nicer house, a little newer car. Besides, it's just, it's just a little, little more money and it's just a year I spent this much time on seminary, extra 20 hours a week. Okay, so some of you, lots of you would still do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's up the ante now. Now, what if you could make an extra $500,000 at the end of the year, but this time you're going to have to travel for the whole year? 
going to have to be gone. So if you're, if you're single, you're not off the hook. It means like you can't see your parents, you can't see your friends. If you're married, it it's, means you can't see your spouse, but just for a year, $500,000. And there's no overtime now. It's just 40 hours a week, no overtime. Um, if you have kids, you can't see your kids. Uh, and maybe you're like, well, I, I do that for the military right now, and I certainly don't get $500,000 for the year. Um, and maybe you're like sitting next to this person that you've committed your life to, and you're like, you know, we need a little distance between us. Distance, distance, I mean, let's just be honest. Distance makes the heart grow fonder, right? I mean, $500,000, we could do a lot with 500000 I mean, it's, it's a half a million dollars. How many of you would say, you know, I travel for a year. I'd do that. There's a few of you that are like, okay, you're honest. Some of you are lying. Um, it's all right. We'll get there. Now, now, if it's two years of being away, that's a million, a million dollars million dollars. And it's not like it's about money. It's just that you'd have a little extra. You could give. You could be comfortable. It's not like we're not asking for more. It's just this, okay, so now what if it was a dangerous job? I don't know. Like, I know some of you have bungee jumped before, but uh, what if like a dangerous job, meaning there's a one in 500 chance of dying? Still half a million dollars, no overtime. And 105, I mean, you could like get that sailing, flying, maybe, you know, being with snakes. I don't know. Anybody? Not, not doing it for a dangerous job? Some of you. Some of you. Yeah, you're risk takers. That's right. No overtime. Now, what if it was one in 50 chance of dying? <sighs> That's, a good. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, there's like 500 employees, you know, one in 50 chance of dying. Half a million dollars, you know, you invest that right, that's going to be, that's going to pay off. Okay, now what if it was a one in 10 chance of dying? But, okay, so none of you are, okay, but now it's not a half a million dollars. Now it's $10 million. $10 million is a job. You have to do it for a year. One in chance, chance of dying. $10 million? No? Nobody? Nobody? No? Oh, we've got a couple of risk takers. Like, I know I'm going to see Jesus. It's okay. It's $10 million. Okay, so how about would you lose your joy? Would you sell your soul for a half a million dollars? Or a million dollars, or would you go straight to hell, do not pass go for $10 million? Would you spend eternity separated from God for $10 million? Are you out? I don't see any hands. I don't think any of us would sell our soul for any amount of money. And yet... I think some of us give away a little piece of our soul every day with every decision we make, one decision at a time. Now this writer in Philippians 4, he's figured out something. He's figured out a secret. It says in verse 10, like, I've rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I am living in plenty or in want. I can do all things 
through him who gives me strength. And yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Now, if you're not like a person who reads the Bible a lot, this is like, wow, what does that mean? It's kind of spiritual language. You rejoice greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. What does that mean? It's, it's just like saying, hey, I'm really happy and I'm thankful to God that you are finally able to help me. That's what he's saying. See, there's a group of people in Philippi, a town, that's an outskirts Roman colony, and it's the only church that's given any financial gift to Paul's, one of Paul's co-workers, the writers, Paul. He gives it to his co-worker who brings it to Paul, who's in jail. We'll talk about that later. And then Paul's going to, when he gets out of jail, send that gift to Jerusalem. Okay? And, and so this money comes, and this co-worker comes, and he says, look what these people have, have given. And, and nobody has come until this point. He's been in jail this entire time. Nobody's visited except a couple co-workers. No churches have written. Nobody's saying thank you, but the Philippians, like, they came through, kind of like flowers burst through the ground in the spring. Isn't that a masculine metaphor? They just come through. And so Paul wants to say thank you, but he wants to make sure he says it in the right way. He wants to make sure that his readers know, like, I'm really glad you helped me, but my peace and my contentment don't come from money and possessions. I'm not going to sell my soul for any amount of money. And most of us would say that, right? If we were honest, we'd say, hey, we want to say that too, that, that our, our contentment, our peace, it does not come from money and possessions. We want to say that all the time, right? But as Dave Ramsey, if you're a Dave Ramsey fan, likes to say, the next time you go out and buy something you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't know, you've just made a life statement that money and possessions do find value and worth in your life. That your value does come from money and possession. That my value comes from money and possessions when we do those things. And it's not, it's not that it's bad to have nice stuff. Please hear me. I like nice things. It's not even bad to have a lot of money. It's not even bad to make a lot of money. It's bad when those things control us. When they have us, then it's bad. And and if we think to ourselves, you know, if I just had this, then I'd be satisfied. Watch out. Man, and I just find myself doing that far too often. You know, if I just had this, I'd be, it'd be okay. And that's that little subtle thing. You know, statistically, Americans, like, I don't want to bash us, but we're some of the most dissatisfied people on the planet, and we live in the richest country in the world, and we spend way too much time thinking about stuff that we don't have. I don't know if any of you online shop. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a closet online shopper. You know, I have my favorites, REI, Amazon, um, a couple others. Man, you just spend 15 minutes there, I found all these things that I need that I didn't even know I wanted. It's just crazy. And this, this, this thing that comes from this contentment thief of possessions is called coveting. And when we covet, 
it's, it's really, like, coveting is where it all started. So if you're, if you're a Bible person, like, you go to the very first story, God created and it was good. He created humans and they were awesome. He created man and woman and that was really cool and they weren't satisfied. They coveted what the one, the one thing they couldn't have. The perfect knowledge of God. They had everything else, but they coveted that one thing. They, they wanted to be like God, and the rest went downhill. And what happens when we covet? I think this is true. You can decide if you agree with me. When we covet, the thing that we covet becomes our goal in life. And we seek after it, and we search for it. And if we covet things that are wrong, then we have the wrong goals, and then we might even sacrifice the things of great value in order to get something that really has limited value. How many stories do you know of people who spent way, way, way too much time at their job only to come home and have this family in shambles. Only to come home to a spouse that's had an affair. Only to come home and find out that they have cancer and have just months to live. We could go on and on, but I think you would agree that when we covet, this subtle switch happens and the things that we most desire become our goal in life. And some of us give away We don't sell our souls away, but we give away our souls one day at a time, one decision at a time. And this writer had learned the secret. This guy was content. The verses again, he's saying, I'm not saying because I'm in need. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Like, he's had abundance. He's had everything, and he's been so hungry that he's craving a meal that he would have eaten his leather sandal if it hadn't been lost or stolen. Like, desperate. He's also had that amazing stuffed feeling that some of you and I get at Thanksgiving when we're like, I gotta go change into elastic pants. (laughs) You know? Like, oh. He knows what it's like to come up short to finish second, which some of you know is first last. Um, and he knows what it's like to come up first. He's, he's been through the spectrum. He's learned the secret, and I think it's because God took him to school to learn it. How do you keep someone in suspense? I'll tell you later. So if you're stuck... In money or possessions, if that's like your thing, and you just go, yep, you're right you know, spend a little too much time on that. Um, your, your Monday challenge for the week is try giving. Figure out something to give away, whether it's money or stuff. Find something in your house that you don't really need, that you don't really want. Give it away. Sell it. Just figure out a way to get it out because wanting more, possessing more isn't working, right? So try something different. Second, huge, huge contentment thief is our circumstances. There's a story that I read in a leadership magazine about a man, 
Sounds like a village in Honduras. There was a man who lived with his wife and two small kids and his elderly parents in a little hut in a country. And he tried to be patient and gracious, but you can imagine the noise in a little hut with your your parents and your kids. And so he goes to see the village wise man to go, this just isn't working. And so he's like, do you have a rooster? Uh, Yeah, I have a rooster. Bring it in the hut with you and come see me in a week. So he does, and he says, hey, how's it going? Um, How's that thing working out? And he's like, it's awful. It's worse than before. This rooster, like, he just goes off at all hours of the night, and, like, there's rooster droppings everywhere. I really don't like this. And he goes, do you have a cow? What? I'm having a cow right now. (laughs) I made that up. Do you have a a cow? Uh, Yeah. Bring the cow in, too. So now it's his parents, his kids, his wife, his rooster, and a cow in the hut for the week. He comes back, and he's like, oh. And the guy's like, okay, how's that going? Yeah, not good. Do you have, um, and over the next several weeks, he brings a goat, two dogs, his brother, and his brother's kids into the hut. And the guy's like, ah, and finally he breaks. He goes crazy mad comes to the guy, kicks everybody out except his kids and his parents, and goes back to the village wise man. He's like, man, my house is so spacious. It's peaceful. I love it. And the guy's like, thanks. And they all lived happily ever after. That man got taken to school. And in his school, I think he learned the secret of contentment. When we look at our circumstances, we have to remember that comparison can kill. Because when we compare circumstances, we almost always imagine somebody else's circumstances must be better than ours. We imagine what we know about ourselves and what we don't know about them, and we always put ourselves down and them up, and whether we're comparing our stuff or whether we're comparing people, we almost imagine the other person's smarter, the other person's more beautiful, the other person's better looking, the other person's Uh, wiser, and they can do things better than we do, and then we feel inadequate, we feel insecure, we have to start going to support groups, and not that support groups are bad, but we just start questioning everything about ourselves. We start to worry about what other people are thinking of us when they're not even thinking about us. I don't know if any of you have read this, 1,000 Gifts by Anne Voskamp, and uh, you know, I am not, if you know me, you know I'm not a very manly man, but I would not read this book just because of the cover. So that's too bad. Okay. So 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. Really good. Here's what one reviewer, though, says. Woman reviewer. Here's one reason why you shouldn't read this book, okay? Because it's written by a homemade, breaking, homemade bed-breaking domestic goddess who classically educates her six children while simultaneously traveling the world with a nonprofit to fight hunger and homelessness where it rains, oh, and authoring books. That's just annoying, her words. Just pick one. Your kids can learn Latin, but either the bread-breaking or the do-gooding has to go. It just makes the rest of us look bad. Isn't that funny? It is funny, but I think the reviewer is letting comparison suck the life out of her the contentment out of her. And when we compare, I think we let contentment get sucked out of us as well. Or maybe we're learning the secret. 
Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in any circumstance, whatever the situation, in any and every situation. I'm sufficient. That's what I can do all things means. It means I'm sufficient, which most of those people would have said, you mean self-sufficient? Because that's what the word contentment meant in their culture. You mean you're just self-sufficient? And a lot of us, we try and go self-sufficient. He's like, no, that's not it. So if you need some Monday applicability in this situation, if we're unsatisfied with our circumstances, we need to stop comparing. I know that's really brilliant, isn't it? If we're comparing and it's sucking the life out of us, we should stop it. Easier said than done, but we could do what Anne learned. We could practice thanks. We could develop an attitude of gratitude. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Like this writer, I think he's figured it out. I think he's got the secret. He's like, hey, you're anxious about stuff? Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present all your requests to God. And when you do that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's maybe a better synopsis of this book. It's not just about the importance of having gratitude in every situation. But it's a challenge for each of us to slow down, to search for, and to savor those moments of life that truly matter. Because you know, a lot of us, chief, first person, we spend a lot of our day and a lot of our time trying to accomplish things that are important that we actually miss life. We need to search for and savor those truly life-giving situations. Because most of us wouldn't sell our soul for any amount of money, but many of us, we give it away one day at a time, one decision at a time. And if you find yourself in situations where whatever the circumstance is determines if you have joy, then you and I haven't learned the secret yet. And I think God loves us so much that he's going to take us to school for that. He'd taken Paul to school. He'd had everything and he'd had nothing. He'd been the, the, the religious man of religious men and then he was blind and left on a road. And God is going to use our job. This is what I mean by taking us to school. God is going to use every situation to, to get us to him. He's going to use our job or lack thereof He's going to use our life. He's going to use our families. He's going to use our church. He's going to use everything around us as the schoolroom because he, he wants us to learn the secret, which really, by the way, isn't just contentment. So if we're here, I'm assuming that, that we're searching or seeking peace, seeking contentment, with this God that we want um, joy 
in life, and we're pretty sure where to find it. Now, some of us, some of us think we're going to find it through religion. Maybe you're here thinking, you know, if I just do good enough, if I do the right things, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure it out. I'm going to get peace. And let me just, like, ease your disappointment right now. If that's where you came, like, you're not going to find it. Don't leave, because then you really not find it. But, but religion will not do it. It will always come up short. But some of you are here knowing religion isn't the answer. You know that, that it's not religion, that it's Jesus. And you're hoping, maybe, I, at least I did this the first time, that I can just add Jesus to my life. I can just add him. And, and kind of like the option package on a, good, on a new car, which I have yet to discover, but like when you go get a new car, you, get the op, you, can, you can apply for the option package, or, or more likely for me, the, the customizable, expandable upgrade on a new computer. Like, oh, that's fun. I get to pick this and choose this. And, like that's what we think that, that we come to Jesus with. And when we add Jesus to our life, I think we still chase everything else I think we still compare and we still covet and we look at other people's stuff and other people's marriages and other people's relationships and other people's talents and other people's jobs and it never, ever, 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 ever will be enough. It will never be sufficient. It will never satisfy. And Paul learned this because God had taken him to school in Philippians 3. He says, you know, I thought all these things, all these religious things were valuable, but now... They're worthless because of what Christ Jesus has done. So just think about that statement. I once thought these things were valuable. In your life, what would these things be? If you had to, you know, if you're just sitting down over a cup of coffee or maybe a beer, if that doesn't offend you, um, just one, uh, if we were sitting there and saying, hey, what are these things? What would you say? What are you putting your value in? What are those things that, you know, in the, the honesty of honesty, that probably are more important than Jesus? I'm not judging you if you say that. Um, you're not saying Jesus is unimportant. You're just saying he's maybe not the most important. But when Jesus can be everything, and he wants to be everything, then everything else has to be nothing. And, and this was made really clear to me when I, when I went to Honduras, and some of you know this story, and so you'll just have to bear with me if you've heard it before, but it's where God gave me this vision of, of this church and of restoration. And I was on the side of a hill, and these people had nothing Nothing. There was a hundred kids in this village. There was one toy. One toy, and it was broken. Every, everybody else played with sticks and rocks and dot, cow poop and other people. That's it. And yet, some of these kids had joy. Others didn't. And I'm like, Lord, what does it mean for these people to have you when there's nothing else? And God just so clearly said, Rob, their only choice is me or nothing. No None of them will leave the side of this hill, let alone go to the city, let alone leave this country, me or nothing. And then I thought about, like, what we have in the suburbs. We have Jesus. We're everything. 
And some of us put our hope and our contentment and we search for it in our spouses and in our houses and in our status and in our schools and in our sports and in our cabins and in our jobs and in our kids and in our money. And none of it is satisfying. In fact, much of it is trapping us and it's imprisoning us and we are chained and unjoyful and discontented. And yet God wants to call this church to be these, for us to be like agents of restoration. Isn't that cool? Agents of restoration where we go out and we just declare and demonstrate that Jesus is everything, which means that, that everything else has to be nothing. Verse 8 says, um, yes, everything else is garbage so I can gain Christ. Jesus says this in a parable. He says, like, the kingdom of God is like a, a pearl that someone found and he sold everything he had to get it. Jesus wants to be our everything. And when we figure that out, then he is the sufficiency. And Jesus is enough for us. And, and that allows us to live with contentment. That's the secret. When it's Jesus or nothing, we get Jesus and we get everything. So is Jesus your king? Not just your consultant, but your king. Like, can we exalt him with our lives? Is he enough for us? And if he's not, and you're not there, then what, what is God going to tell you as we sing this song? What is he going to tell you about what you need to do about that? Because the spirit will speak to you. If you want to come back and, and pray back there during this song, you certainly can. But I think Augustine, many, many hundreds of years ago, said it right. He said, we'll always be restless until we rest in Christ. Can we pray? God, you know how, how hard it was to go through these scriptures in Philippians 4 all week and to see so much of my own inadequacy, my own anxiety, my own ingratitude, my own sin, but to come to this place where you really very clearly said, it's, it's me or nothing, and if it is, then, it's, then I equal everything. And so God, I pray for us right now, for each person in this room, wherever they're at with you, God, to consider what it means for you, Jesus, to be king in their life, for you to be exalted in their life, for you to give hope and contentment. It, it's simple, it's just expensive. So meet us where we're at, gently lead us where we need to go. Amen.